Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can follow me at JokesOnDrew. Happy New Year to all of you out there. I hope you had a great holiday season. I am very happy and grateful for what we at the Nomcast accomplished in 2019, and I thank you, our loyal listeners, for tuning in and engaging with us all year. Thank you so much. I also think it's pretty safe to assume that after all the award nominations and critical praise that Netflix is pretty proud of their accomplishments in 2019 as well. Many of their films have been recognized as some of the best of the year, and a standout among them was the Golden Globe-nominated hit smash, Dolomite Is My Name. I am happy to say that today's episode is an interview with actor Kazi Toganas, who played Saul Bahari in Dolomite Is My Name. Saul being one of the famous Bahari brothers who produced Rudy Ray Moore's Dolomite comedy records and, of course, the Dolomite film. I was lucky to talk to Kazi, who you may have seen in John Wick or The Equalizer 2 opposite Denzel Washington, or maybe one of his several TV appearances on shows like Person of Interest, Blind Spot, or The Blacklist. This is a great interview full of talk about his experiences on set of Dolomite Is My Name, how his burgeoning acting career got started, and much, much more. If you want to know more about Kazi, you can follow him on Facebook and Instagram at Kazi Tuganas, K-A-Z-Y-T-A-U-G-I-N-A-S. And of course, if you don't already, please subscribe to the Nomcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Here's to a great 2020, and we kick it off with a great interview right now. Give a listen. Dolomite is my name has become this kind of a phenomenon for them, for sure. And and how has that experience happened for you? Because obviously, uh, there's a million stars in this movie, so it's it's hard to <laughs> it's almost hard to keep track. There's yes. so many good good people in this, uh, and it's such a high profile movie for for Netflix in total. How have you dealt with that? How is how has it helped you in terms of your career? And and what was it like doing this experience? Well, you know, it's, um, you know, like when, when I got like cast in Equalizer, you know, you're like, oh man, I'm going to work with Denzel Washington. So you get cast in uh, Dolomite is my name and you're like, I'm going to work with Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Uh, so it's childhood heroes, uh, to be honest. So working with Eddie was awesome. He's, he's, uh, he was incredibly committed to the Rudy Ray Moore character. He actually been trying it. You know, it's so funny how like, you know, Life imitates art and so forth. It took him, he told us it took him 15 years to get that movie made. Yeah. I, 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 we uh, we did the review for that movie and in the research, I found out immense information on it. And uh, yeah, because I think, what what was he coming up? He was in his, he was around the Pluto Nash era. I think it was when he was trying to get that made. And, and or he was definitely making like a lot more. He was like getting daddy daycare done, I think, right, almost right. around that time period. And it, it would have been a very interesting transition to see him if it got greenlit the first time to go yeah. from doing these kind of like wholesome pictures that he was doing and then yeah. transition to doing something like this. Uh, because obviously, you know, firsthand, you saw all of 
Eddie Murphy <laughs> and and some other people uh, in the in the scene that I'm uh, remembering specifically uh, the photo shoot scene. Uh, so you oh, yeah, yeah. He, he, was, he was seeing Eddie Murphy top to bottom uh, or whoever that may have been because you do see him from the back. So I, I'm not sure exactly how they coordinated that one. But yeah, it's a very personal story for him. He he knew Rudy on some level, uh, worked with Rudy uh, a few times. And I know that they tried to get that made a long time ago. And Rudy was part of the problem a little bit like where they couldn't get fun. Uh, basically he wanted to be paid a certain amount for his story and things got held up and, and things can get muddled. But the way it came together is also very interesting where uh, the writers of the, the movie had uh, got basically not a blank check, but they were very hot coming off of the, the OJ Simpson, the people versus OJ Simpson uh, yeah, thing yeah. that they did that basically they were like well we're we're you know they were eating out of the palm of their hands and they were just like well what do you want to do next and it's like well it's funny you mentioned it you know and kind of like you know tried to get this back together back off the ground uh because they only had that in mind as like a passion project that never came to fruition and and here we are and it's become this yeah. huge deal uh and it's something for a passion project for the writers, for Eddie. Uh, and obviously they were extremely disappointed. They couldn't do it in the time of Rudy Ray Moore's life. But, you know, obviously I think he should be, he would be proud uh, of the, the phenomenon that this movie has uh, become. It's even getting, uh, you know, award buzz for a movie yeah. like this, which is not only rare for comedies, uh, but obviously, you know, Eddie Murphy, went through it with dream girls and, and that's the limited recognition he's gotten from the award season crowd. And I'm glad to see it because the movie's terrific. Yeah, I am. I am too. I, uh, I think a lot of, he poured a lot of his heart and soul into it and you know, it, I think it deserves every accolade it'll get. And, and I am always a fan of the, you know, the, the, the story within a story, you know, the story of him, of, of making of the film, and the fact that, you know, just Rudy did it like he did, uh, he, he made his own film. And I think that that's like a, there, there's something very motivating. And after I remember I went to see the film uh, in Williamsburg because they had a very, they had a limited theatrical. Yeah, release. I saw it in the theaters myself. Yeah. yeah. And I was, you know, I, of course, I, I wanted to go opening night because I wanted to see, you know, whether or not I got cut out. <laughs> oh, you didn't know. <laughs> No, you know you don't know until uh, until you see it. Oh wow! Because so, I mean, the scenes you're in, I, I I couldn't imagine some of those at least not being saved. I mean, some of them are kind of crucial. Yeah, well, that was the thing. I wasn't really worried that we were going to get cut out. It was just you know, and and of course we, they, you know, everything we shot they kept. So I was I was very happy to see that, and I was very happy that the film turned out yeah. well. I mean, you know, it's it's always it's always great to be in a film, but then when you actually have the movie turn out great is uh, even better. Cause I, I can't tell you how many screenings I've gone to of films that I did. And I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. No, I hear that, man. <laughs> we, you know, I'd be like, Oh great. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, you know, how'd you like it? You know, and you're like, uh, uh, it was really good, man. I really liked that uh, opening credit. Right. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it, 
that is a tough, tough sit. If, if you can't get through something that you're participating in, have to glad hand afterwards and, you know, just put the, yeah, happens all oh, the yeah, time. It's part of the business, but obviously this, yeah. this is some high end stuff. I mean, you know, Brewer's yeah. a, a very good director. I mean, I loved hustle and flow and black snake moan and some, some of his other work. And, you know, it seems like he might be, I think he's doing the, the coming to America, uh, sequel yeah. too as well so you know he's definitely got enough chops for everybody and this is murphy you're nobody's gonna be more dialed in and it seemed that you were intimating that as well that you know it, it meant so much to him and it comes across on screen and he really dialed into this role now is it hard because he is larger than life in this movie he is on 10 from the get in this movie and from what i understand of of eddie murphy too is is that when he's not in character he's very much kind of a reserved guy kind of a a very relaxed presence on set and then when he's on character everything lights up like a christmas tree and then he you know he's boom he's right there he's eddie murphy eddie murphy we all know is that accurate yeah. Well, he's he's super. I mean, you know, uh, our what are we like in three three scenes? I mean, he was always. I mean, the thing was he was he was very friendly. I mean, we talked. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was yeah. uh, that's how you know he gave us a little background on the story because like we're playing the Bahari brothers, so all of the scenes that we're in with him, it's all four of us. He was just uh, you know he is very he is very he's very cool, very laid back, not not. Uh, typical a-lister as you would expect you know he's um just he he was there and uh and he was there to do the work and you know he also it wasn't like he wasn't approachable he came over and shook hands with everyone the first day that we were there and and that means a lot uh especially when you're coming in for a supporting role when you know you're where the lead is 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 showing respect you know um just doesn't even have to you know you don't expect it but he comes over and shakes everyone's hand and you know it's always nice to to feel welcome to a set. And he definitely did that. He definitely made everyone feel welcome. And it's very appreciated, especially coming in as a supporting character in such a huge production when it came to talent, you know? So, you know, I, I honestly, I, what I enjoyed most about working on that movie was Ruth, uh, oh, yeah. Ruth's wardrobe, you know, he threw together some awesome stuff. And it was really funny because when I went to my first um, wardrobe fitting, because I looked up Saul yeah. Bahari, the character that I played, um, and Saul was very, con- you know, very conservative dresser, uh, conservative hair. Uh, I couldn't find any mm. on-camera interviews, unfortunately, um, because I would have liked to sure. be able to get some of those mannerisms. Um, sure. if, if, but I, I wasn't able really to find anything. So, and then when you know when I when I got there, uh, I realized that they had like split all the lines amongst the other brothers, right. and I was like, yeah. oh, okay, so. I'm just going to be, uh, I'm going to be along for the ride. And, you know, Craig just basically told me as far as my character went that I was the youngest brother and I was still learning the ropes of the business. So I, uh, you know, when I first got fitted, right, it was, uh, it was very suity, which was originally what I envisioned Saul Bahari wearing is different types of conservative suits. So like my first fitting, that's what I got. But then when we, um, you know, when Ruth checked out, I guess the pictures and whatnot, she she made some some decisions and they changed my character into a little more um you know uh, fitted you know fitted yeah. short sleeve kind of thing 
Um, so it was, it was fun because it, it like changed. Cause I was, I was expecting it to come in one way and then you show up the day of, and I'm like, Oh man, all right, cool. I get to, <laughs> I get to show off the guns a little bit. Cool. So it was, it, I just really loved, you know, what I really like about period pieces and I I've done a few, uh, it's, it's that you're able to really, uh, just yeah. dive into the world. Right. So they, they, yeah. they build the sets out and art department comes in and they get everything from that time period. And you just walk on set and you feel like you're in the world. And I really, really love that about period pieces is just like you step on set and you're instantly transported, which helps you uh, with the creative process. It helps you focus. It, it, it just makes it easier for you. So I, I, I took Craig's note of being the young brother as the analytical one. And that was just all of my, I, I ran the character as he's, he's, not necessarily overthinking, but he's constantly mm-hmm. analyzing and running numbers in his head. So I know he came across like a, a little like neurotic, but I just wanted to bring something different to the character, especially because, um, you know, he, he wasn't yeah. speaking. He's mostly reacting to what he's hearing. So I just, I just rolled with that and, uh, you know, just tried to make every scene that I was in come to life from yeah. my character. I, I, I definitely, uh, mm-hmm. in watching the scenes again today that I definitely, felt that came across i didn't feel neurotic so i think you're okay there (laughs) um but definitely you know obviously focused and looked you know to be you know constantly in thought constantly processing so if that's what you're going for you nailed it so (laughs) yeah definitely it and it was funny you know that scene when we go to meet him uh in front of the the hotel where they were shooting right yeah Um, when he's asking for more money yeah when he's asking for more Mm -hmm. money props hands me this briefcase yeah and i'm like well isn't where he shooting this movie like isn't like the neighborhood kind of bad so (laughs) i was like i'm not gonna hold this briefcase like a normal person would i'm gonna hold this briefcase like i'm afraid somebody's gonna steal it so that's like you know i just wanted to again do something like if you're gonna give me a prop i gotta do something with it you know what i mean so sure um i didn't even ask for that just handed me a briefcase and i was like right well i'm hugging this like like they're <laughs> like nobody's gonna get this for me yeah so it was fun because you know craig just was hands off and just kind of let me do my thing and uh you know that's always nice when you when you're uh, able to do that and uh you know it's just it's it's it was the eddie show and we were just there to support him and and uh make him look good and i felt like as the the bahari, the bahari brothers came across that way i think i think we all did our we all did our jobs yeah, I definitely think so. And, and and going back to something you said before, uh, you know, how how Eddie was on set and how how graceful he could be and approachable and sounding like he really set a tone. I mean, that's got to be inspiring for someone like you too, especially because, you know, you're you're doing a passion project right now. And and obviously I would think that you know, you know, you're already in the midst of shooting and obviously I don't know what exact process you are with standing eight, uh, that we had discussed, uh, your, your, your lupus, uh, passion project that, you know, it must seem that that would be a figure that you would want to emulate yourself after. Yeah. I mean, look, when you're, you know, my understanding, uh, is that when you are the, the lead of whether it be a film or a show, you're kind of like the host yeah and uh you know everyone's there to support you so the the best thing you can do as a lead is just to make everyone feel welcome whether 
Um, there's, you know, every, every role counts. So it's, it's just being gracious. And I, I felt like he totally made all the actors there feel welcome. And, uh, you can't ask for more from, you know, the lead. And, and I just would absolutely emulate that on my own productions. And I tried to, you know, when we shot standing eight, um, you know, I tried to do that because I've, I've always had this feeling, um, uh, when it comes to making films, it's funny because a lot of films and shows have these hierarchies, uh, which I think are, are kind of silly. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, everyone is there to make a good product. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've, if you've hired the right competent crew, right. Everyone should feel like you're, they're there to make a good product, not be bitter and mad that they're, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, very true. You know what I mean? Uh, if you're, if you've, if you're, if you've hired the right people and everyone feels strongly about what they're doing and they take pride in their work, uh, you know, really there's, there's no cog in the wheel that's more important than another, you know, uh, the production assistant who has to run out to Dunkin' Donuts to get the director and producer's coffee is pretty important when they need that coffee. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm not, like if they're fading, they've been doing like a 14 hour day, they're, they're approaching 15 hours and they need a coffee. Um, uh, please believe you that, that, that PA that runs to Dunkin' is probably the most important guy for the day. Oh God. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, um, you know, I just never, I never really understood that hierarchy of people being treated better or worse than any other particular person because you're all there for the same reason. Yeah. And the reason is yeah. to make a good product and to make a work of art. And I think sometimes people forget that um, and just get a little too self-important, uh, unfortunately. But at the end of the day, you're making a movie, you're making a piece of entertainment. So why wouldn't you all just be having a good time while you're doing it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, that message definitely rings true as a person who was a, a PA or an assistant for, for several years when I was in college and a little bit after. And, you know, I always, it felt like a, a systemic issue because it's always like, well, this is how I was treated before this. And, you know, it kind of is just a cycle that people go through, but I'd like to, I'd like to have that message come through and and for people to hear that and feel that. And, you know, it all, it does, it starts from the top. And if uh, it seems like, you know, Eddie and, and, and and Brewer really set the stage, set the tone for you guys to kind of have a more relaxed and, and free experience and, and comfortable and, and which obviously with acting is everything. Uh, and obviously, and even behind the scenes, it's everything because when you can just focus on your job and not worry about the attitudes or politics of something that could go on in a shoot, man, it is a way more pleasurable experience. Uh, and you're probably more willing to be like, yeah, I'll put in this 16 hour day. I love being here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, when you make a movie, even if it's an indie, you know, you're talking about you make a feature film, it's going to be, you know, probably 20 shoot days realistically. So you got to be around the same people for 20 days. And why create an environment that's hostile? You know what I mean? Like, why would you want to create that? Why is, you know, you, you want a positive environment? Because I feel like happy, happy people, well-fed people, uh, people who are, are feeling that they're being paid what they're worth, are going to really and then the thing is with like the pace thing is like if you're on an indie film people might not be getting as much as they normally right. would but if they feel like they're respected and they're being taken care of to whatever degree that the production can uh they're still going to mm-hmm. hustle 
they're still going to bust their butts because they want the product to be good and they believe in it. And otherwise they wouldn't take it for a pay cut, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's really, I think it's really, really important for producers and directors and leads of films to just uh, create that atmosphere and, and hire people who come with a positive spirit. I think energy is everything. Uh, I've told my friends on a lot of occasions when they're like doing hiring uh, for their productions or whatever, they're like, oh, I'm not really sure who to hire. And I'll say, well, who was the most excited? Yeah. Because is the more experienced guy, okay, he might be great. His reel might be awesome. But if he's not excited, yeah, you know, it's not, it's not where you want to be. I think excitement is everything. The person who reads the script the, the night you send it to them and, ha- and, and gives you feedback the next day, that's the guy you want to yeah. hire because he's the one who really cares and is interested. Not the guy who you're like, hey, did you read it yet? And they're like, no, well, you know, I didn't have a chance. Uh, Stranger Things 3 was on Netflix. <laughs> right. and I, uh, I had to binge, but I'll get to it. That's not the guy you want on your show. So it's, it's, it's kind of navigating these waters. Luckily, I learned a lot about hiring when I had my diner. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you you have such an interesting background. Uh, you know, we we kind of have talked about it uh, <laughs> a little bit, but between owning a diner, uh, being in you know professionals or you know higher amateur sport levels, uh, and now obviously taking all that that business savvy or that competitiveness or any of those life lessons that you can learn on all that. Uh, it's interesting now seeing you apply that to the film world because not everybody comes with that kind of background. I worked with a lot of people who were, you know, these soft, you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, film kids that, you know, haven't had a ton of life experience or, or you have people who have been in the business a long time and that's all they know. And they kind of, you know, some people get checked out or go on paid. power trips or any of the, the negative stereotypes of the business. So it's good to see you kind of bring a full life to, to something like this. Cause I think the messages are true that way. Yeah. I mean, look at the end of the day, you're making a movie. Why, why so serious? Yeah, it's true. It's very true. You're making a movie. That's it. Like you're not, you're not, <laughs> you're not a nuclear yeah. physicist. No, it's very true. And, and you obviously have made bigger movie as of late. Uh, you have, we just discussed Dolomite is my name, but you also have a couple of other bigger performances. You touched on Equalizer 2 working with Denzel and, you know, it seemed like a lot of things clicked in for you uh, post John Wick. And it's yeah. like, I'd say probably yeah. uh, just, you know, looking at your IMDb, I guess uh, it seems to, that it was John Wick and then a lot of, higher profile TV and then everything kind of led you to the last couple of years. Can you, can you talk to us about that journey? Did you feel that click in? Did you feel something kind of come, come, come across? Well, you know, I, uh, the journey, uh, it's funny. I, um, I had no idea what to do when I got out of acting school. I graduated from New York film Academy. I wasn't able to successfully acquire any reps by the time I got out of school and God knows I tried. I invited my class and I, we were incredibly aggressive with inviting industry people to the screening of our like right. thesis film. And uh, I even had a story credit on that one, which is funny. I was like already thinking content <laughs> creation yeah. when I was in school. Um, and uh, 
it became this thing where my journey was just like a step-by-step thing. You know, I had to sleep on a couch for two and a half years when I first graduated from school because I had no money left over from the diner. I, I was literally dead broke and had to start at zero. Uh, actually, less than zero. My credit was like destroyed. Um, so it was just like this really slow climb up. And uh, the only thing I knew how to do was like I'd learned how to shoot a film because I'd done 50 student films while I was right. at New York Film Academy. So one thing I did learn is how to throw together an indie shoot. Granted, there were some other things that I took, was learn on the job learning experience, like insurance yeah. policies and um, you know whatnot. But uh, so I shot my own film uh, called Salvation Road in like 2010, um, and that was like kind of like the first thing I did out of school. I also did a um, I did a music video with Aventura, which was a big Dominican mm. bachata group. And it was just like a slow climb. And I also, because, you know, acting was really slow and I, I had met with reps, but nothing ended up panning out. I kept trying to box also. I was like simultaneously trying to box and act. And I wasn't really doing either well. Um, so I kind of had to let the boxing go in 2011. And I ended up hiring a career coach, Gwen Gillis with the actor's market and hiring her, I felt like was like mm. an energy shift. Cause then it was like, all right, I'm fully committing to this. In the meantime, I'm like waiting tables, uh, working at Cipriani for their catering and waiting tables and doing whatever I could to get, scrape on by. And once I hired her, she just kind of put me, I, I wasn't that far off with what I was trying to do, but she kind of got me onto a a path where I got like the right headshot and I built my website and we got the resume looking good. And then it got to a point where I was just like, she, you know, like I started to really realize my worth and I started, you know, once she got me on track, I just started aggressively taking, uh, not being aggressive when I'm in the class, but I started taking classes with casting directors because they are the gatekeepers to the mm -hmm. industry for an actor casting directors don't need to hire you through an agency. Right. They can hire you directly. So I started taking in as many of those classes as I could. And I was also at that time really not used to getting in front of people who are really high in the layer cake. And like I started getting in front of all these casting directors and I started getting really comfortable in an audition setting. And what happened after doing that for about a year, I met Kate Geller from Christie street. And it just so happened that at that time, uh, again, it was one of those weird chain of events where like I signed up for the class, but I was waitlisted and then someone ended up dropping out right when I signed up and the girl who was working at the office emailed me and said, hey, a slot just opened up. Do you want to take it? You have to book it right now though. And I was like, yeah, I'll take the class right now. So I went in to meet Kate Geller and sure enough, she liked my work and she was like, you'd be really good for this <laughs> Keanu Reeves thing that I'm doing now. And I, you know, I didn't take it seriously because I had heard that before in some classes that they were like, oh, yeah, we'll call you in. Mm -hmm. And then you, you never get called in. But she did. She followed up like two days later. I, I had a slot to audition to play one of the guys who killed the dog. And uh, sure enough, I went in. I felt really good in that audition. Uh, within a half an hour of leaving that first audition, I got the call back. Uh, they had me come back like two days later. I met uh, David Leach, he was, he was one of the co-directors on that project. Um, Chad got the sole directing credit, but when we were on oh, set, they were actually co-directing. Um, oh, that's interesting. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I met David at that time and it was a really interesting callback cause they said, uh, in front of the director, they go, Oh, well tell us a little bit about yourself. 
and I wasn't really ready. No, I'd never been in an audition where they asked <laughs> oh, you to God, tell no. them to, to like talk about yourself. <laughs> oh, God, no. And I was like, I just told them the story of my diner and how, um, you know, I owned a 24 hour diner and that unfortunately I had to close the place down because my landlord wasn't really looking out for me on the lease on the new lease. And they all, everyone got sad faced in the room. Like it was like, you could feel it. They were like, Oh God. And then I was like, yeah, but guys, listen, I was like, if that bad thing hadn't happened to me, I was like, I wouldn't be in this room right now talking to you. I, you know, like it was like, that was where I was headed with the story anyway, you know, but it was funny because like, then they were all like, Oh wow, cool. You know, like, so long story short, I didn't get one of the, uh, the three guys, um, Toby Moore got that character. Uh, but like a week right. before they wrapped, they called me in to play Ivan and I was on right. set for a couple of days and got to meet Keanu and work with David. And it was, it was awesome. It was like, uh, really, uh, you know, that was definitely one of those big shifts. Unfortunately, the industry is this weird thing where when you think you're going to hit this milestone, you think that things are going to start falling into right. place, but it was not the case. I met right. with, I was, I got, I booked that Hollywood film without a, any type of representation. Casting called me indirectly and I booked it. So I was thinking, well, this is like that catch 22 where they say, how do you get an agent? Right. Well, you book something, right? So I was like, well, now I booked something, so I should be able to get an agent. Mm. Didn't happen. I met with it. I remember I met with an agency uh, like the day after I rapped on John Wick and they were like, oh, cool. And I was like, guys, wait, no, I, I booked this Hollywood film. Like, and they, they just were like, oh yeah, right, whatever. And I was like, okay. So I kind of tried to meet people and um, Christie Street kept calling me in. Uh, they started calling me in for Blacklist right. regularly because they got the first season of Blacklist. I ended up booking like two episodes, the last two episodes of Blacklist. Um, season one. And I still did that without having representation. And, um, that was like May of 2014. And then at the end of 2014, just like, as like a spur of the moment kind of thing, I decided to go do a meet and greet, um, with a paid meet and greet to meet my manager. Uh, and at the time who I didn't Hmm. know she was going to become my manager, but I went to meet with her and she was like really impressed that I booked John Wick and Blacklist on my own. And she offered me a contract like the next day. So it was like this thing where realistically, I my, my trajectory went like this. I ended up booking like industrials for the U.S. Army um, without any reps. And then when I was working with my career coach, I ended up getting a commercial agent. And that commercial agent, I booked a few commercials through. Um, and then all the legit work that I was doing, like features or whatever... <laughs> Um, I was booking on my own. And once I got John Wick and Blacklist, that kind of put me into another atmosphere. I joined, you know, SAG. And uh, once I signed with Nicole at Prestige Management, then she just started, you know, I was, I started auditioning a lot more and we ended up booking person of interest, but it was always kind of like this very slow trek upwards. You know, even after I booked John Wick, it took time to like find a rep. And then once you get the rep, then you know, the people in the industry got to know whether they can trust you in an audition room and blah, blah, blah. And um, my first TV show after Blacklist, where I had like a speaking role, was Person of Interest. And that also came through Christy Street, who yeah. had already booked me on John Wick and Blacklist. So, you know, you develop these relationships with people in the industry. They know they can trust you and they start bringing you back and bringing you back. And it, it, it was just like a slow, I had a really good relationship with them and they put me on blind spot. And then I also booked Sollers Point with them, um, a movie with uh, 
Macaul oh, okay. Lombardi nice. and Zazie Beats and Jim Belushi. Yeah, that was a little indie that came out. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been one of those things where I feel like every victory was hard fought, you know, which makes it sweeter in the end and you're appreciative of it. You don't really you even turn Washington Spies. I auditioned for that show. I auditioned for the last season 12 wow. times in 10 episodes. And yeah. I finally booked the last episode That's of the awesome. show ever. Yeah. So it's it's staying the course, you know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I feel like with this with this like just like anything it's not necessarily the guy who runs the race the fastest. Sometimes it's just about whether you stay in or not. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a stand-up comedian when I'm not podcasting, so I, that definitely echoes for me because a lot of a lot of people, it's just kind of like it can suck one day, and then it's like the best day ever, like a week later. And if as long as you keep going, you'll get those bigger and better shows, and then eventually you land the right one in front of the right person or get an audition for something based off of something that you didn't even realize somebody was watching you. And you hear those stories all the time for people who just, you know, don't quit and, and keep persisting and, and good things will eventually happen. If, if obviously all things line up, you know, you obviously have to have the talent, but you also just can't give up. And, and that's, and that's part of the big lessons. And, and definitely, I could see that with you. I, I could see the the work ethic and the you get you get all the right things. I and I appreciate all the messages that you're you're putting out there. While I have you, obviously, you are well. Two things: number one, this being a Netflix podcast, I am curious about. Uh, you are also on the Good Cop, uh, which is a Netflix uh, cop show with Tony Danza and Josh Groban uh, as well. Is there is there any correlation with Netflix sets? at all as far as like because i know they're very hands-off and they kind of their reputation is kind of just the the content creator the the vision first and they're very hands-off did did you have any correlation between how netflix productions are run um you know good cop was great um i they invited me to the table read you know and uh you know we were like the bad guys in the episode right and, you know, when I was on set and there's like the scene where I'm like robbing this restaurant, you know, the director was like, ad lib. And that's my jam. Like I, I ad lib like crazy, nice. uh, especially in films. Like when I, you know, uh, normally when I'm on, on, on an indie uh, and even bigger stuff, like when I was on Equalizer 2, all my lines in Equalizer 2 were ad libbed. Oh, fun. I, I just like to live in the character. So like the direct and, and, you know, Good Cops TV Normally TV, if you, if you say, if you add an and into the sentence, yeah. he comes over and is like, oh, I, uh, you know, you said, and, right. uh, in, instead of, you weren't supposed to say, and, and you're like, what? Right. <laughs> you know? And, and that you're like, what? It just like throws you off. Right. But, uh, on good cop, she's like, ad lib, say whatever you want to say. Like, and I was like, thank you because this scene doesn't feel right unless I do. Right. So it was, I like, I liked the, the freedom of being able to do that on a show. Uh, and, and, you know, Tony, Tony's awesome. Yeah. I really like Tony Danza. He was talk about, uh, making you feel welcome. So that, that was like the biggest, I'd say that was probably the biggest correlation between the two is like the leads on the show really made you feel welcome. Yeah. And I think maybe that goes hand in hand with the freedom. You know, if it's kind of like something that somebody, like you were saying, who's the person who's excited to be there? You know, it, it obviously has to start somewhere. So if, yeah. if you know, Tony Danza, you know, probably at that stage, 
you know, it's probably coming off a few years where he wasn't the the lead in anything or didn't have something going on. And this might have meant a lot to him. Uh, I obviously yeah. don't want to speak for him, but just kind of seeing the trajectory of what was around that time, it might have been might have been something big for him. And or maybe he's just a really great guy. It could be both. Uh, but, you know, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, and and it seems to be a trend with a lot of the productions you've had on. I, I hear Keanu Reeves is a really nice guy too. So you know, yeah, um, yeah. Keanu Reeves is awesome. Yeah. Uh, did you have any uh, like singular moments on any of these projects? Maybe even specifically Dolomite, like something you know fun. Like I just had a an actress who was just in The Irishman, and she said she had some mm. some interesting moments. You know, either on set where where like maybe you're like wow this is like an important moment in my career something that struck you in the moment or maybe something fun that happened off set uh like uh she was discussing like uh playing a game with anna paquin and having a lot of fun is there anything like that for you um you know for you know dolomite i mean i just i like i said it was just being able to live in that world and making that world come to life, which was, which was like a ton of fun, you know, and just honestly, when Eddie Murphy laughed, yeah. cause he actually laughs like he does. Like he's like, yeah, uh, uh, uh. yeah. I w- that was like such a, it was just, honestly, that moment I was like, Oh my God, he laughs like that. You know what I mean? It's just like funny. Cause like you like grow up listening to, I literally grew up watching yeah. this guy, you know? So just like that moment of me being able to like, see like the humanity and the fact that like, you know, it was, that was just an, that was an, that was like an, that was probably like my favorite moment of the whole, of the whole thing is like when Eddie cracked up and legitimately was, um, you know, it, it was who, who, who you'd seen on screen and who you had grown to love after all these years. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, it's definitely one of those out of body experiences where you're like, wow, this is actually happening. That actually happened. That's hilarious. But no, and and that's that's great. Uh, I'm I'm glad that happened for you. But now, obviously, your your focus is turning to standing eight for for the most part, right? Like trying to get that off the ground. Well, I actually I, have, I actually have um I have uh, a few projects right now that I'm working on producing. Um, I'm I'm working with Jeff Dashnaw, second unit director uh of mm. equalizer two and we have a project that we're cooking up nice. we have uh i've got clinch which is my follow-up to standing eight which is uh about a fighter whose daughter gets diagnosed mm. with lupus to to make that a little more relevant to the lupus audience because um 90 of lupus patients are actually oh, okay. female so i've got that cooking uh and then i have a horror screenplay that i'm working on with a buddy of mine He's writing it, but I'm, I'll be producing it and, and full intention of acting on it, uh, which is acting in it, excuse me, um, which we're working on developing. Horror screenplays are particularly tricky. How so? Just because you have to, uh, you know, in the sense of being able to like paint that, because you don't want to just like write a script, like a horror script that's not scary itself. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So being able to like really work out the world and, and making it descriptive enough that people when they're reading it can actually like really be involved. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like sure. the, 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 you have to, you have to put a little more time and thought into things in the screenplay that normally you would just be able to gloss over, you know? Right. So it's just been, I mean, on that one, 
it's I think we're on our like 12th draft now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, hey, it's that's what it takes, you know, um, sure. because you you want it to hit. And yeah. I just I like uh, I like the challenge of, you know, of, of of content creation. So I've got, you know, I've got my fingers in, in a few different things now. Um, no, no official announcements yet because everything is in development. But right. um, I'm very happy with the direction that it's going. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, 2020 will be a year for some really big announcements. So we'll, uh, we'll see as it goes, but then, and I continue to audition and book. Pro- I just got off a horror film called shimmer. So I actually have like four films in post four indies right now that are all in post-production. So I'm assuming all of those will be released in 2020. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, having a big year. Excellent, man. I, I hope that for you. Uh, it sounds great. Now, where do you, pardon the the expression, where do you stand with Standing 8? Because I know that you, you it started out as a short and you're trying to, or you are making it into a feature. Uh, I know you had Kickstarter campaigns for that to get certain things off the ground. Um, I may have even read something about trying to get uh either the short on amazon or it is on amazon oh, yeah yeah standing eight standing eight is on uh amazon it's on itunes and it's on google play and vimeo okay yeah and so on. where do you stand with the feature uh the feature right now uh the screenplay is written and we're just kind of um we're we're in the process of uh putting together the the funds excellent essentially so so i have all of my, the, you know, and then we have some big decisions to make also like where we fully intend to shoot it. Um, mm-hmm. which is when you're shooting a film, that's kind of a big deal is knowing where you're geographically going to want to go because that affects your budget. Right. Um, and I learned a lot off of AFM. So, you know, I'm working with my production team and we'll, you know, hopefully, hopefully have some more solid, um, things to announce. Uh, but you know, I'm working on it with the lupus foundation of America's blessing. Like they're, um, they're very excited about it. Uh, they gave me, uh, excellent notes, um, on the screenplay. So all of the medical stuff is, is accurate. And I also worked with Exogen, who's the uh, company that developed the first diagnostic test for lupus. And, uh, they, they gave me some great notes because I actually included their product in the, in the screenplay. So, you know, it's going to be 2020 where we we bring that feature film to life. Where is it going to land? I don't know. The goal clearly is theatrical release because for an awareness project, the more eyes you can get, the better off you'll be. Right. Well, you know, that sounds great. And and where can people follow your progress? Like, uh, are you on social? Like, how? where can people find you and, and keep track of what you're doing? Yeah, well, mostly uh, my, my my go-to social media is Instagram, and it's just at Kazi Toganus. It's just at K-A-Z-Y-T-A-U-G-I-N-A-S. And then uh, official Kazi Toganus on Facebook. So my shorter form kind of content I release on Instagram, you know, again, to my stories. And then the longer form stuff, um, you know, full trailers and, and reels and that kind of stuff. And if I have links to interviews, I'll, I'll post it on Instagram, but then I also, it always lives forever on Facebook. Right. So, well, Hey man, I, I wish you all the best. Uh, I, I don't think you, you need that kind of expression cause it seems like you make your own luck. So, uh, it was great talking <laughs> to you. I, I 
uh, wish you the best. And I hope all those, I hope 2020 ends up being the year that you hope for. Well, I think, uh, I think it will be. And I really, I really appreciate the sentiment. All right. Thanks so much for talking to me.